0: You are now listening to Cyber Time Bite, hosted by me, Stephen Clark. Hope you enjoy the podcast. Hey there, everybody. It's Stephen from Cyber Time Bite here for episode 75 of, cyber, of the podcast. And today, I'm with someone who who has, who has half the mind than I do, or he had, you know how that goes, uh, and, and he was a psycho, he was vicious, and he also was a justice. Yes, today I'm with the ruler of the world, Sid Vicious today. How are you doing today?
1: Good, Steven. How are you doing today?
0: I'm um, doing good. So um what can we run through that segment real quickly of what how that happened? Like when did when did the I have half of mine as you do become like oh, a thing?
1: Okay. I, I didn't know what you were saying in the beginning. <laughs> Steven, this is the deal. That was written for me by Vince Russo and Ed Ferrara. Uh when that was handed to me. I even asked him, I said, this is really what you want me to say? Now, Bill Bush was the new guy who had been put in charge. um, It took maybe Eric Bischoff's place, and he is right under Ted Turner, from my understanding. He was the new guy in charge. So he comes to me and says, Sid, I know um, some of this is going to be uncomfortable to do with these new guys that are trying new stuff. He says, but if you'll do it, then everybody else will have to follow suit. So, I I mean, again, I didn't want to do that interview, but I was forced to. But that was probably the worst, one of the worst segments of my life.
0: Do you, um, do you, do you, uh, do you retort it to fans who bring it up by going like, oh, yeah, it's kind of true with me and technology?
1: <laughs> no, the thing is, is, uh, I don't know. This is, that whole deal, Stephen, uh, I still think today, I was talking to someone the other day and they asked me, did I think that that was, you know, they were purposely trying to destroy the territory. I told Bill Bush that. I told Bill Bush, I said, Bill, you are being flim-flammed. He said, what is flim-flammed? I said, you're being bullshitted, dude. I said, these guys, I don't know this, but it looks if like they're purposely trying to kill this territory. And uh, <clears throat> they thought he fired those guys.
0: That's good. Um, so it was the same year, I believe. I believe that was 99. So... That was the same year you were also jumping to ECW for that short period of time, right?
1: Right before that, right?
0: You gotta tell me. I'm a huge ECW freak myself. How was your experience in ECW?
1: It was what ECW was. It was fun. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But you were you were never going to do. Excuse me, I just burped. You're uh, you're never, never going to do big things like draw. No, I do. I think I helped draw a little money there. Uh, bring a little, you know. Few people in the, buy tickets, but um, it was just that it was fun. But it was I don't know I couldn't ever take something like that seriously. It's and two this is the way the company was run, Stephen. I don't know if you're aware of this. Yeah. When you're when you're more interesting in the crowd, you know, say chanting ECW name instead of saying chanting a uh, person's name. That says that you're going in the wrong direction. That you're you're sort of handcuffing yourself and your company from growing. So that's I don't know if people ever realized that about ECW. They were never set up to succeed big uh, because they just, you know, they wanted to think small, but I had a great time in there. It was a lot of fun.
0: Did you, uh, did you make any friends that you're still friends with for me? Well, I,
1: I was with a lot. Of, I was friends with a lot of people in there. Actually, Paul Heyman was my manager as Lord humongous for like three weeks in, in the Memphis territory. And then uh, I knew Shane Douglas from uh continental. Um, and then, the rest of the people in there were all pretty cool guys. They, you know, uh um Rob, Rob Van Dam was always he was a real cool guy. Sabu's always really cool. Um uh, I don't have any problems with meeting those guys there at ECW. Um the the
0: the best part about ECW was um I, I mean the best part was is that I like how you did that when you came back to Raw, you wore your old ECW gear when you showed up on raw in 2012 for being up Heath (laughs) Slater,
1: Right, 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 right. I
0: thought, I thought that was a cool little Easter egg. If you were, if that was the idea behind that,
1: that it sort of was, but you know, the thing about ECW now, it had a great fan base. Uh, I mean, the, the fans were great. Of course, you're mostly in the Northeast and that's always a good wrestling fan place to go wrestle, uh, you know, be in front of those fans there. Um, but it was a it was a real live audience. It might have not have been big audiences, but it was really live and a lot of fun.
0: So um, so the get away from the ECW thing, because just to, just to cap that off, you left because um, the company went under, and so you just left it because of that, right?
1: No, honestly, Stephen, I was just there. I had just come in like any independent uh, territory. I was just doing a few shots here and there. Now, Paul had talked to me about trying to get there full time, but they weren't situated to do that. And so I came in for a few shots and then, um, I got a call from Eric Bishaw and he actually flew into my hometown in his own plane. I picked him up the airport and we went to Cracker Barrel. We ironed out a deal and I went to WCW.
0: What's, um, what's your favorite, what's your favorite career moment from WCW Um, that you can think of?
1: Man, I tell you what, uh, it wasn't working with Adam Baum. Uh, that's for sure. I think it was the worst match of my career. Um, I don't know. ECW was like my first place, you know, ha- you know, my first territory. So, like that first run of Sid Vicious and his the skyscrapers, that probably was my mo- the most fun. The reason it was the most fun, Steve, because um, I hadn't yet learned that there was any pressures, didn't know about jealousy and. Um, the backstabbing so it still was fresh fun there was no i didn't again they didn't know what jealousy was until later on so being young naive dumb that's fun too and that's what i was in the beginning i was really lucky Stephen. i tell people this story i was i've been brought in by eddie gilbert and and, um we're talking about it in my book quite a bit eddie held my hand Stephen, and walked me through you know, set me with Danny Spivey to say, "Okay, we're going to teach. He's going to teach you how to work, how to get heat." A lot of people don't know really what that means. If you really don't know how to get it, and they say, "Get heat, get heat." is What I did, Stephen, when I got on someone, it looked like I was killing him because, most of the time, I was. Mm-hmm. So, so that's what Eddie relied, you know, allowed me to do. And I'll give you an example, like, yeah. For instance, when um, we were me and Danny were working on the skyscrapers, um, he'd say. I remember this was – he asked – we were at a house show. He said, see, you know that spot you do where you press people over your head and throw them over to the top rope back into the ring? I went, yeah, he goes, I want you to do that to Rick Steiner tonight. Now, Rick didn't want to do things like that because, you know, baby faces don't want to get showed up like that. So he had to take that every night. So, when again, he took the pressure off me. for I didn't have to ask to do that. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. Now. Steven, anyone knows me in this business, I was an opportunist. You know, I, I asked what I wanted to do, and I didn't do what I didn't want to do, you know? Yeah. And I did things to make Sid look good.
0: Mm-hmm. Is that, is that, is that also... um? Does that also, like, have to do with you being in the video game for years in a row because you were in 2K... I believe you are you were in 19. You were in 2K19, 2K18, and 2K17 is DLC. And so... Were you approached about that, and you, and when they told you you were also going to be in two K 18 2 K nineteen, were you also told about that?
1: No, I honestly, I signed a deal with them a few years ago, and I really don't even keep up with. I mean, I get a royalty check, but um, I don't know what I'm in, what I'm not in, Stephen. That's the honest truth.
0: That's what that's what I um get heard about for the business a lot is that people don't know about their own stuff. And they just well,
1: figure this, it out. This this is why, Steve, because it's a ripoff. If you look at the contract, I think in merchandise and it says something like this. You get thirty three and a third or thirty three and a third or thirty three and a third. That's nothing. Okay? Mm-hmm. So I didn't never you know, you can't again, i for me I wanted to make my money in the in the ring. And this is nice, don't get me wrong, but it's it's um it's not something you know, I'm lucky to get it, don't get me wrong, but it's for me, I wanted to get my money up front.
0: So, um, take us through the, the good old, uh, WrestleMania 13 match with the Undertaker. That was happened in my, in my hometown of Chicago, Illinois at the Rosemont horizon. Um, what was your, what was your favorite part about that match? And did you like that match?
1: Well, it's not that I didn't like the match. I didn't like the, the, that WrestleMania, for instance, usually WrestleMania is in a big, big, uh, venue. And it was oh the old horizon. I mean, I was. I would like to have be been like another show, like it was at the Indianapolis, at the Hoosier Dome, something like that. That was the only disappointment. The reason was, too, Stephen. Right before that, you know, the WWF couldn't sell out of high school, okay. And then when I came back, they, we started doing business and we started selling out these arenas. And they booked that building knowing that they were doing bad business. And that's when I had taken some time off. When I came back, I think six months before WrestleMania, eight months before WrestleMania. And we started doing series with me and Sean. At that point, the company sort of picked back up and started I think we set some indoor attendance records in most of the buildings I went to.
0: Yeah, because um, I really like that match. I mean it was a really good it was one of your probably one of your best matches I've ever seen, and I'm a huge wrestling guy. I mean, like I, I think I've seen a few action figures of yours, and um, I should probably pick one up because I think that'd be really cool. But, um, but, uh, what, what, what was your favorite time speaking of WrestleMania 13? What was your favorite time in that whole era right there? Like that whole era that you're a part of? Do you have a favorite time? Well, for me,
1: and I've said it on a couple other interviews and I'm going to talk about it in my book a little bit. The most, the probably most satisfying moment in my life, even though I wasn't making a great deal of money, um, it was when I got the belt from Shawn Michaels and it wasn't winning the belt because I never cared about belts and actually I my understanding, I would never get a belt because I didn't need a belt to draw money. We, you put belts on people like Flair helped them draw money because they couldn't draw money without a belt. I was mm-hmm. different. I didn't need a belt. So I never thought I'd get a belt. So when they gave it to me, wasn't it wasn't the belt. Stephen? what it was is since I left Vince and came back as psycho said, so just as I was what we considered put on the whipping post where they weren't doing anything with me. I think if you could look back and see that I was putting over people like Brett and, you know, Scott Hall and these guys, not that they're not good guys, but you know they're anyway. So I was on that whipping post for a little bit, actually to the point that I lost the use of my left arm from my neck uh, injury. So I take like, a year off. And then when I came back, and i was the only change that happened the only thing new came in because they had fired the warrior and i had to come in and take his place it's sort of a funny story i had taken over a job working for as an ag rep from a company out of fresno california called custom chemicides and i didn't i didn't tell anybody that so when vince called me here in a in a in a frantic to try to get me to make a show that night in baltimore to take the warriors place i didn't i wasn't going to answer the phone this is before call id i clicked over and it was vince i couldn't say no he goes said need somebody to do baltimore nice Vince, i haven't been on tv in a year i said tell me you can find somebody's got more tv time than i do right now he goes i know but i need star power and i'm thinking what you gotta be kidding but i they've been sending me a thousand dollars a week sitting at home so i wasn't gonna say no right yeah <laughs> so i went and did the show and then came back and did a second show for them. They called me the very next weekend to come back and then the, I agreed to do the pay-per-view in Vancouver and they sold out. That was you know, really big deal. Now they see, okay, if we treat Sid right on TV and give him a little bit of reading room and let him unleash him a little bit that he could draw money for us. So they did that. So And what happened there, Stephen, it wasn't anyone but my doing and it was what I had accomplished in the business and what I was able to do as far as draw money and stuff like that. I went into where you know that show at the. We were in the gardens like a month or so, maybe two or three weeks before. No, a couple months before Survivor Series, and they told me that. Um, let's put Vader over tonight because next time in here we're gonna. He's gonna beat Sean for the title. Mm-hmm. After that match, me and Vader had. When we came through the curtains. I saw Vince standing there. I knew that they changed that that moment. So we got to Indianapolis at in your house. They came to me and said, "See, we're gonna change this. We're gonna put you over Vader's night, and then we're gonna put you over the pay-per-view." Uh, over Sean to go to, to the Alamo Dome. And the reason the Alamo Dome show was put up there because Sean wanted to do a show in his hometown in a big venue like that. And I think they put brought the prices down to where they could do it. Pull it off. You know what I mean? Yeah. So um, we got to that. All right. So and then of course the match, you know, everybody knows what happened there. And I, I sort of I turned the business myself, Steven. It wasn't, you know, anything that Vince did or the company did. So that moment was the greatest to me because on my own doing, I forced myself off that whipping post and they had to use me. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and that's and to me, that was the most satisfying moment for me because I knew that I really was what I thought I was.
0: Yeah. Because, because you're the man, you're the ruler of the world. <laughs> Stephen, this is the thing is I'm not going to, I'm
1: not here to put myself forward or stuff like that. I think if, People that been in this business know what how I did things. They say he's a pretty smart guy the way he did things. He, you know, crafted his interviews. He was probably one of the most believable people in the ring. I did, you know, silly little things like the TVs. I don't have like two or three minute matches, so I had to make a, you know, everything count. So walk into the ring, I'd find the camera and do an interview. Walk into the ring and then, you know, find the the camera in the ring while I'm beating the guy up. Where it all looked visual. And so those things weren't just by happen; Those were playing deals. My interviews were some things I'd read. Uh, you know, they just, they weren't just come off the top of your head. So, and I think I did a lot of things pretty good in this business.
0: Mm-hmm. So, so if you don't mind, I, I I heard, I heard you're really big in the music. Do you mind talking about music for f- for a few minutes?
1: Yeah, man, I do. I love music. Matter of fact, that's um, something i talked to my writer, Barry Normante, about, Is that music for me was, I like it for a lot of people. uh, It gave me an escape out. I remember um, every night sitting there in my bedroom listening to WHBQ AM radio, you know, listening to um, Crocodile Rock, Elton John, you know, uh, Steely Dan, all that stuff. And then some of my first eight tracks when I was like 10 years old was, you know, um, Simon Garfunkel, Jethro Tull, Led Zeppelin. So I was listening to that stuff. Now, what, the influence for music was me was my stepfather, his whole family played music and we'd write songs and send them to Nashville to try to get them recorded. And I was doing this at 10 years old. So that to me on Sundays, we all the TVs would be turned off and everybody'd break out their guitars and we'd sit around and play and sing all Sunday. So that is, you know, was probably where a lot of it came in. And then other people like my grandmother was, uh, both grandmothers were really into music and we'd sit around and just listen to albums all the time. And I've got, a pretty extensive stereo collection and I've, and right now albums were back in back in style
0: do you um uh did you ever for one of your themes when you got into wrestling want it to be like a song that you really really liked but they were like no no we can't use that because we don't we can't get the rights for it
1: yeah what it was in as a skyscrapers we're using the song i really liked it for me it was a great intro song it was uh the it scorpions it's called white china and mostly it was just music it was no singing but it was a great build-up if you listen to it uh and by the time he got to the ring you wouldn't even know words ever said and i was using it in wcw but when i got to wwf they couldn't use it and then when he got back to wcw they were using different stuff as well
0: the, um which one of your themes is your favorite like of your themes that you ever had which one's your favorite one for his characters yeah, like like the Psycho Sid theme, the J- Sid Justice theme, the Sid Vicious theme. Which one was your favorite?
1: I think Sid Vicious was my favorite because, you know, it just it was something I did for the most part of my career. Sid Justice was a, I don't know. I think it was stupid. You know, Psycho Sid was cool. Um, I made that cool. Of course, that you know that was sort of <laughs> Stephen. If you don't know this, I'll tell you. That was sort of part of being on the Whipping Post. That was a. A mock to the deal with Arn Anderson, and so I didn't even know that they were using the psycho music, and that my lighting in the ring looked like I was in the shower. You know, that's the stabbing part of the deal. So that's the thing is, I, I could, you know, I could have never say that I enjoyed that. You know, being taken advantage of.
0: Because I can, to be honest, I could see, I could see you coming out with that psycho entrance, with the spotlight on you, and the rest of the arena being dark you versus the fiend, it, like, like a psycho guy versus, you know, another crazy psycho guy. That would be, I think that would be a great match. Honestly. Well, now, honestly.
1: I worked hard to make that work, even though I didn't like that character, you know, so I did the silly things to make it work, you know, cause that's what I'm going to do. I'm gonna do the best job I can do out there. But again, Sid Vicious was probably the most fun.
0: Yeah. I, um, if, if I can honestly tell you, Sid Justice Fiend, that is, one of my favorite themes. That was my favorite theme you ever had, honestly, from me. Well,
1: this is, I, I think that why you think that, because that was the, the heyday of the wrestling business. You know, as I came back as Psycho Sid, the business was in the toilet. Again, you know, we were, you know, Sid Justice, man, we were selling out every venue in the, you work sometimes selling out two venues a day, twice on Saturdays and twice on Sundays, do a 12 o'clock show and then do an evening show. And then going from that to Psycho Sydney, I remember sometimes when Brett and Diesel were working for the title match, we'd be in Canada and they couldn't sell out a, sell out a high school. So for a professional, I couldn't say I enjoyed that.
0: Yeah, because, um, because, uh, that, I mean, the, the music, you know, music in WWE and in real life can be in, in a influential or I can't think of the word right now. But well,
1: this is the thing. is The C Justice thing would have been really good, Steven, if we got to do it like they were going to. And what the initial plan was, and this is why I left so much guaranteed money on the table to go to WWF, was um, I was going to only do TVs and pay-per-views for one year. Yeah. And then when it came to WrestleMania, I was going to win the championship not that I care about that again, but that was the plan. Then I'd go into my first house show. Now that would have, I think that would have really, that would have worked. But him having to fire the warrior and me taking over, to me, Steven, I was, even though I was successful there, I really wasn't given the chance to be successful. Again, I think that's a testament of uh, my my drawing power.
0: So, um, so, uh Okay, here, here's a big one. It's about the music. Um, Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon or The Wall? Which one's your favorite?
1: Oh, man, The Wall. I, both. I, man, that's a tough question. I'm going to go The Wall because it's the um, – I, I had – back in the day I had that cassette, and I listened to it like all day long. So, you uh, know, I'll, I'll go The Wall.
0: Because um, I got I – got for me – um, like you collecting vinyls, I like collecting uh, cassette tapes. I actually have a few of them. Um, what what was your what was your uh, thoughts when um, when cassette tapes and vinyls were coming back in the style? Do you think they're they're like the same thing from when you're back in the day, or do you think there's some changes? You think?
1: You know what? I don't. I, I haven't got back into collecting cassettes. I'm just you know from my understanding. Just in the last few years, albums have just become hot again and i've got i've got a um sound system back here i've had since i was 15 it's a kenwood with a jvc quartz turntable so i've i've got back in the thing about turntables too and this old amp i have it's a 400 watt kenwood is that uh the tube sound like that the new stuff cannot duplicate that kind of sound are you aware of that steven
0: about about like the new stuff can't duplicate the old sound? Right. Yeah. You, can't,
1: you can't. It's because of those tubes. And i got one of the old tube ones. Then I've got two sets of Boston Tuesdays and one set of uh, 4330 JBLs uh, with studio monitors. So it's a really crisp, clean sound. It's something like the wall or, or Pink Floyd sounds awesome on it. But um, no, I would say, again, and also with the tube system I have, or every one has the two system. And then if you got the, the turntable, I, my understanding too, and I, I don't know this cause I'm not a technical expert. Um, but it's the clearest sound you can get as well. So I know when we play music over sometimes people, go, man, that's even my wife. She said, man, I can't believe how great that sounds. Do
0: you, um, what's your favorite album as of, um, as of right now, like as of like 2019, what's your favorite album? Wow.
1: Well, I'm going to give you a couple. Um, no, nobody's going to know this guy, but for blues, not my favorite. I got, I just got Electric Mud. That's Muddy Waters with some new guys doing some real heavy guitar stuff. But Junior Kimbrough, I like that. Um, he's pretty good. But then, believe it or not, one of my best albums is a lady, and I can't, I can't believe I'm saying this. Is Lucinda Williams? She's one of the maybe the greatest songwriters there are out there. And Rolling Stones magazine a few years ago said her cd or album it was called four wheels on a gravel road was uh you know picked to be the number one album of the year or the greatest one so and she, now you know, i don't know if steven too is um i'm not saying i am but i am a little up on music music right now in my opinion is greatest it's ever been because there's so many different varieties of it yeah you know like Lucinda williams for instance she went from country and her and i don't know if you know the history of country music but you know graham parsons with the flying burritos and all those guys, they made country cool, okay. Mm-hmm. And they took, they walked away from rock to make country. You know, and uh, Graham Parsons, uh, what was it? uh Lou Harris was part of that. Um, and so, but now Lucinda Williams, to me, she's she's like Stevie Ray Vaughn sound, but a woman. You know what I mean? Yeah. You no, know, they got great, great heavy sound. I, I think she's one of the greatest singers, and I, I. That's hard to say that a woman's up there with a man because I usually you don't hear people say that.
0: Did um speaking of music and speaking of great albums, um I, you probably heard for your kids, but um did were you ever introduced the guitar hero?
1: No, I wasn't, but I've seen it, yes.
0: Yeah, did, do you think that's a great way for people to get into music is through yes. Guitar Hero, you think?
1: Yes. Yes, I do, man. I think it's any way that you can play music is a great thing to do
0: because um, I'm a huge fan, honestly. I To, to be honest with you, I actually own every single game, and because of that game, I would not know as much music as I know today. No, you wouldn't.
1: Any, any, Stephen, this is what I look about music. If there's any vehicle or any avenue that you can broaden your your vision or your education or your knowledge for something, and this, we're talking about music right now, and Guitar Hero is something we could say is a vehicle or an avenue to broaden your vision for music. Yes, you could do it. And yes, it would be cool to do it.
0: I, um, have you ever, uh, now that you do podcasts and now you're getting a little bit in technology and you've been doing this, uh, online stuff for a little while now. Has broadcasting ever become like a side thing you ever wanted to do? Knowing that you're a big music lover and you have some sports knowledge because you were born in a sports kind of town, um, stuff like that.
1: You know, it's funny you said that. Just recently, you know, I'm I'm everything I watch now on TV, like you know these these broadcasts before the World Series and. Um, what else was i was watching today uh espn the, how the guys were talking back and forth you know the the broadcasters i'm trying to pick up on that to be a better talker and, and come across better on my bro- on my on, on my podcast and one of the things i notice i'm doing is i'm talking too fast i need to do like say Jalen and rose today or whatever that on espn the guy took his time he, he talked real slow and i i don't to me it sounds boring but i think it comes across better sometimes
0: because, um, because the the reason I bring that up is because I went to broadcasting school where they where they literally taught me how to use everything by touching the equipment and me actually doing it. So I mean, like I feel I feel like if you ever if you ever wanted to go that route that you, that could be a place for you if you ever wanted to do something like that like on the on like a very high side end job. You know what I'm saying?
1: Right, right. No, it's something that I just recently started thinking about because doing the podcast and by doing them i'm watching everything i can to try to pick up something cool to do and actually i heard something cool from tim kershaw on uh, one of these baseball things a couple months ago and i forgot what he said but it was something cool to say you know on brought on podcasts or talking on interviews and um so i'm trying to pick up again everything i can from everything i can see to learn more about this broadcasting and podcasting because it looks like podcasting steven is going to video from my understanding that it's going live and that's what we're trying to work on right now um because we want to be you know at the same pace as everyone else is
0: yeah because um i've been doing this podcast for a few years and podcasting really is a way for people like me people like you and people who are you know all over the place to put their word out there and to talk about what they want to talk about do you think do you think that really is what what direction it helped you in is to let people know more about you and everything about you in a better way than any other form that you have done?
1: Well, the, um, my writer Barry Norman, we talked about this. He's the one that said, "Let's look into podcasting, and we'll get you back out there." I think it has worked a little bit, and I think it is a great tool, and I wouldn't be using it if not. And the reason we started doing the podcasting, uh, the Vicious Circle podcast, is because we were looking for an avenue or vehicle to uh, promote my book. And then also, you know, I hear hear all these stupid uh, stories and these exaggerated uh, lies. And I I thought, okay, I want to do two things. I want to promote my book. And then I want to maybe set a few things straight and we're actually, and I won't say their names, but you know, I've heard some stories and some of them are about myself. And we've asked these people to come on to vicious circle and, they're not willing to because some of the stories they're talking about Stephen, the, the stories are so off. They're not even in the same country sometimes, you know, or as I heard one yesterday that I had a pet squirrel that I traveled with. and one day, uh, as a uh, contest or something, I, I see how I was trying to see how long I could let it sit in my pants, and I was carrying a scar from that. That's a, the stupidest goddamn thing I've ever heard in my life.
0: I don't think. I don't think I ever heard that in the dirt sheets, even. <laughs> well,
1: but actually, Rob uh, Bellamy, uh, my producer for Vicious Circle, told me this just last night. They were things that were popping up on his on his computer.
0: Like it's stupid. I mean, like if if they're say, if they going to say lies about you, they better tell it to your face because because but, like.
1: I'm sorry. This is what happened a couple years ago. I got. I was fixing to try to get into technology, and I'd got my first laptop and my first iPhone and stuff like that and uh, got into the very first chat room thing, whatever. And it was Kevin Nash, who I consider a friend of mine. And he was talking about, again, I guess it was a whole uh, a bunch of guys with their version of the whole deal with Arn was. Um, and they all had a different version. And they all knew none of them were even there. So Kevin was saying something like, you yeah, always knew he was a little – Crazy or something like that, or a little off. And I'm thinking, well, you no, know, this is someone I, I thought I liked. I still do. Um, so I fired back and said, "Okay, Kevin, that's big talk." You know, for you know, for someone who, when you were on top in the WWF, you couldn't sell out of high school in Canada with Brett. You know, so Barry Norman, who acts as my publicist and who's my writer for my book, he called me the next day and said, Sid, "Did you get into an argument?" online or something I said yeah he goes I want you to get rid of that phone and get rid of that laptop and get you out of this stuff so I did so I took a, a exit from the social media a year before I ever got into it because I, I did the wrong thing and what I'm understanding is when you even if I feel like I'm right on that issue if I fire back all I'm doing is extending the argument for someone to come back with something else stupid so I'll handle myself differently now how I do things.
0: So, um, speaking of Kevin Nash, um, besides, besides your own, who does the best power bomb?
1: Man, honestly, there's a lot. Nowadays, it's a high spot, but, um, I think Kevin does a good one. And I, I think because of his height, his probably is as good as anyone's. Um, what's
0: your, what's your favorite wrestling move? that you could do, that you want to do, but you can't pull off?
1: Man, you know, honestly, Steven, I always wanted to do that chain wrestling. You know, the the like Steven Regal. Like that? Uh, yeah. I wanted, And uh, I, I, uh, Phil Lafonts, who was one half of the Caribbean Express in the WWF, me and him and Doug, and we used to ride together sometimes. So every night I had him show me something different like that. So I was adding it. It didn't look good on me, but but I would wish I could have pulled some of that off
0: that I would that' would actually be pretty cool Seeing so you do chain wrestling that, that'd be well cool. the
1: thing about it was I was having a different version of it like if I got somebody one of those locks you know it looked like I was breaking their head off their neck you know yeah so it was again I was learning the real the real dominating holds you know what I mean like again mm-hmm. it's just I, I wish I could have done more of that but this is the thing is and I think it's true sometimes is that you know what I learned in wrestling school I never probably used after i got out of that you know it was just power bombs and clothes lines and then you know using psychology which i had just a little bit of
0: you know it's actually if i could if i actually bring this up i always wanted to tell you this but um it's because of you partially why i keep pretending to fist bump people because you used to do it all the time and now i now i'm doing it (laughs)
1: Well, you know, my, I did that a couple of times in, in Sid Vicious, my first run in WCW, and uh, my wife saw me do that, and when I came home, she said, you need to do that more often. And I think, I don't know, people ask me, are you the one that started that? I think I was.
0: Yeah, because um, you're, it, was, it didn't matter if you were a face or a heel, you would fist bump the people, no matter what you were doing. <laughs> right. So, so like, um, is – Steven, what I was doing right there,
1: I was taking advantage of being myself, and I was getting over. That's what I was doing.
0: Yeah, you're just being, you know, you're being Sid the person. Right. As, on top of the character, which is, which is great. I mean, like, if you could be, just be yourself, but also be a character at the same time, that's the best thing.
1: That's the best thing. Now, real quick, I want to tell everybody that you can you know listen to The Vicious Circle on electronic media, yeah. iTunes. Stetcher or Google Podcast, and it, um, it's I think we're doing pretty good on it right now. We had a, we taped an episode; that will come on in a couple of weeks. It's, it's, we're really directing towards the book right now. First ones we just did normal conversations, and, and me and Rob just laid out a little bit about my career. And that's not something I want to stay on top of. I don't have to pat myself on the back, and you know I don't mind doing these little interviews with you, and I guess put myself over because that's the only way you'll. No, I mean that's what you're asking the question, so I gotta sort of tell you the the truth, and um, without sounding like I'm overconfident or whatever. But um, no, it's um, we're having a good time with it. I think it's um, I think podcasting right now is is fixing to really take some jumps forward. Now, my understanding, like I guess the WWE, everybody's going to do a podcast or something.
0: Yeah, like like Jer- like Chris Jericho has one. Um who else has one? Uh Mikey Whipreck and Jerry Lynn from ECW, they have one. Um, well, a lot a lot of these superstars have podcasts now and they're hot they're like the hottest thing right now. And you're just starting and yours will be big. I guarantee it, because everyone everyone might be on the bridge about your about you, but you are but from this interview and what I know for you from watching you from all these years, great guy. You're a great guy. And I can see the podcast going places. Honest. Well,
1: Stephen, and and I'm not, again, I appreciate the compliment, and I do think I'm a pretty decent guy. And the reason why is because I've always been real honest. And, you know, being brought up in the South and on a farm, that's what you live by was your word and, you know, telling the truth. And I can't see any reason to lie or to gossip or to be jealous of anyone. I never, you no, know, in the wrestling business too, Stephen, I've made this clear. I didn't get into wrestling for the love of it, I got in for to make money. I was, I never watched wrestling my whole life. Uh, of course, I'll, I don't have time to go into all that. I just got into it for the money. I uh, had got cut on the USFL Football League, uh, Memphis Showboats, and then I got cut from the Houston Gamblers, and it was probably going to be the last year of the USFL. I was thinking about trying to do a walk-on scholarship and go to the NFL. Then I met Randy Savage and some guys in the gym, and they taught me into wrestling. And they said, you can make money, this much money, probably right away. And I, that much money, which wasn't much money. It sounded like a lot to me at the time. So I, I went that avenue.
0: So uh, after you got into wrestling, did you start watching the older stuff after you got into the business?
1: You know, honestly, I never watched wrestling, even when I came home. Uh,
0: Now, I would watch like if I was home and when I was
1: going through the wrestling school, if there was WCW or I think it was NWA at the time or WWF, if I was home, I'd try to watch it just to see what I was getting into. You know, Steve, when I first got into this, I thought to myself, if I could, you know, I, I don't ever set myself up for failure. So I thought, I said, if I can be in the, just in the business here and work real hard, I might get here. And that's what I sort of did. You know, mm-hmm. I didn't, I never looked at a booking sheet to see who I was working with. Um, I didn't care. I didn't care what they asked me. And you know, like, for instance, we always were told in this business that you'll hear some things from a few people and you might pick up one thing from this person or that person. Well, talking to Hillbilly Jim for it as I was just getting into the wrestling business, he said, Sid, you know, this business is fake. And if, um, he says, remember this, he goes, when they asked me to lose, I go, how do you want me to, you want me to trip as I'm walking the ring? He said, because this is the reason why if, if you don't give them a hassle about that one, you might keep your job. And then two, he said, Sid, you might make some money, meaning that you've got a, you know, a future in this business. So I took that advice. And so I, I didn't, I saw the other guys, for instance, they drive themselves crazy. They look at the booking sheet and go, I'm working with this guy tonight. So I wonder what the finish is going to be. Oh, man, what's my career? Oh, blah, 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 blah. You no, know, I wasn't going to do that to myself. I did. I purposely did things like that where I didn't drive myself crazy. When I saw that doing it to other people, I didn't care about the booking sheet. When I was writing with somebody, they were telling me where we were going. You know, So when I got to the building, Stephen, I could look in the dressing room and I could tell you who I was working with because they were scared. Yeah. Or not scared, but they were intimidated because – you know, if you were a babyface working with me in the Northeast, you were going to get booed, and babyfaces hate that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and then especially then too, Stephen, I was, I was stepping hard right then, dude, and I was getting myself over.
0: Yeah, you. Uh, I, I I like that. That's a. I like your approach. I, I really do. I mean, like like you you followed you followed you followed the rules. You you did like you said you said you basically said uh, uh, when someone told you to climb, you said how high right
1: now for, for instance I, I i was a sometime my worst enemy too like for instance at the on the finish at um um Royal rumble with sean you know they asked me to hit H- jose lothario with that camera and um, now not that it mattered but i was told coming in back you know i i, I didn't really want to come back I, i'm going that story right now but coming back i said you no know, they said they're going to do this so we got into this now they're going to make me a heel. No, doing back and forth like that is really, for instance, if, if I was a, like a marble and I was on a track and that track, there was a bump and that marble got a little chip. Finally, that marble is going to come off of that. And every time you turn from baby face to heel, you're getting chips in, in yourself. And eventually you just, it's hard to stay over like that. So you can't like switch me heel after one month of being a baby face. So I told Vince, I said, I think it's the stupidest thing I ever heard Vince, but I'll do it because you're the boss. No, that, I, I couldn't stop myself from doing things like that, Stephen. Uh, and everybody knows that.
0: Yeah.
1: It's not stupid to, I think, voice your opinion. But uh, but I said, hey, you're the boss. Let's do it. Now, what came out of that was I was the first person could, you know in the business, and probably no one did it equally as well as I did, Is I literally could work with Undertaker and work as a heel one night and then work with Vader and be a babyface that next night. Nobody else did that like I did it, Stephen, and I would – There' anyone to challenge me on that
0: so um if do you i I know that you retired from wrestling like you like you made your retirement back in 2017 but if if vince called you like december uh november and said hey royal rumble's coming up would you be inclined to say yes you know what i
1: if you were to ask me that say six months or a year ago i would have said man I, I would have jumped at it but this is what happened steven me and barry barry called me and said said you know they're taking applications for writers in wwe so we had our resume we made up a resume and I, I won't go into barry's background but steven is very extensive as a writer very extensive as a filmmaker and he's one of the smartest people i've known and i, I won't i won't you know have to say any more than that so we made up a resume I had my attorney who's pretty good friends with the attorney and WWF give actually hand that through an email to them. So we handed it to them So we started watching TV just to see what was going on and uh, After a couple weeks of watching it me and Barry said man, I don't you know I never been so baffled in my life going man This is this is some of the worst stuff I've ever seen and I don't know how to fix it You know other than you just had to totally start over now. That's only watching two or three shows. Okay, you yeah. can't really take it. You can't weigh things. You know, the only way you could do something like that is you went to, you know, you went to every show, every house show, every TV for months and months. Then you might be able to do something as a creator to turn something around. But I don't know what's going on right now. But I don't, you know, you're hearing this about this elite wrestling who they're selling out arenas before they ever had a television. On, they ever were on TV, and I know for events when they do TVs in Memphis. <laughs> they don't have just a few people show up they have to actually get everybody on one side of the arena just look like they have people in there so I don't know I've never been also so you know like not knowing what's happening why is this company so successful and how can they sell these arenas that Vince couldn't sell out over the last five or six ten years
0: I, I think I think because I think why all elite it's getting so well is because you know it's to its hip. And the younger kids love it. And <coughs> excuse me. And Dodai, they they everyone thinks that they um that how do I say it? Like like they're everyone thinks that they're being too PG. You know, like the PG right. is like it's like their stamp on everything. I don't wanna say I'm not saying anything bad about a company because I love E but um, but I think because of that PG stamp, that's why a lot of people aren't wanting to show up to sell those arenas.
1: Well, I think Stephen, I think it's it might be a little bit of that. You know, they're not just doing PG things, Stephen. I won't go into that, but uh, again, they've had you know some of the I've seen some. I won't go into. It. They've had that one girl, uh, you know, dildo herself, and that's been all over everybody's phone. Uh, that's as good as tv okay and that to me is not pg okay so and then they they star that person on tv you can't you know i just again i, I can't believe that so no it's not because it's a pg this is what my belief is steven
0: yeah
1: elite wrestling i watched a little bit tonight and last week they don't have any better talent than wwf but this is the difference and this is something i tell we talked about in some of these podcast interviews when I was wrestling, Stephen, why I got over was this: they put me on a starting line, and said, "Sid, run as fast as you can run and don't stop." Okay. Today they get you and they put you on a starting line. They go, "I want everyone to start off. I want everyone to end right there." Well, if you're you're setting someone's limitations for them like that, then you're someone like me or um, uh, Hulk Hogan or someone. I'm not comparing myself to Hulk Hogan, but you know Sting or something like that was popular like that. If we were, were say told to stop in that spot, we never would've got where we where we got to. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, that makes sense. It's like it's like they're you're giving them a wall. It's like it's like yes. I want you to keep running and hit this wall.
1: <laughs> right. Exactly. And I want everyone to stop right there and then don't anyone get over. And that's what the difference is, Stephen. If if this is really happening, what they're saying is happening. These people are selling out, selling out these arenas less than you know four minutes at some hard venues. You know, Las Vegas is a Hard town to draw in. We had Kiss open up for us one time. We still didn't sell out the MGM Grand. So that's how hard it is. You know what I mean? Yeah. So for them to do that, I think says this: one, they're don't they're not putting so many so many reins on their talent. And then two says that there's still a wrestling fan base out there. It's just they do not like what they were seeing.
0: So um, so uh, I, here's a hard question. It has to do with that. That has to do with the, what we were just talking about about hitting a wall. Um do you, it's gonna be a tricky question. Do you think music like bands have to go go through the same exact thing? Do you think bands these days and even in the past were like we want you to go this far and for you to stop here sort of thing like,
1: Stephen, I think you're it's funny you said that I've watched something over the last month or so. It was on PBS. it was a documentary of an eight part series called Country Music. Uh, done by Ken Burns. Ken Burns, is one of the greatest documentary uh, people out there, maybe the greatest, in my opinion. But he just did one on country music. It was I can't remember what the title was. They all had different ones. Like the last one was called "Don't Get Above Your Raising," and that's a southern saying. I mean, don't get too big for your pants, you know. So uh, they were talking about that, and and one of the stories that sort of like what you're talking about was one that really almost made me cry was Johnny Cash. Where you no, know, I think it was Columbia Records said, okay, we're going to let you go after all this time. It says you're not going to run at all. And so he went to this depression area where he was only playing in places like Branson, Missouri, for the 200 people. Here it was Johnny Cash, you know. And then right before he dies, that guy, I can't remember the guy's name, but comes to him and does that album. First he did the album, just some of his old songs, and then did the one with Tom Petty songs, and then uh, Nine Inch Nails, the, the, the song "Hurt," which. I think so all his albums, you know, combined that song. So to me, that's like the same moment I got when I was got off that whipping post. You know what I mean? Yeah. So he was able to run and not be reined in right there at the end of his life. And I think that was one of the coolest parts of that whole documentary. Actually, I just went to uh, this past weekend, went to the Johnny Cash Music Festival and Roseanne Cash was there and Marty Stewart. And it was really awesome. But I love country music. Now, I love all music. Don't get me wrong, but everything comes from blues and, and from country, you know. And uh, if anyone gets a chance to watch that um, music documentary on country music by Ken Burns, take my advice and watch that.
0: So do you – Um, I mean, so do you think that, that same philosophy runs for all music, not just not just country, but for all music? Yes, it,
1: I think it would run for all. If any, anything in life, I think if we got – where will we get – you know, knocked down and we're able to pick ourselves up and take off again, I think it could go into all music, all things, all walks of life, uh, and all people, you know. So, no, I think, you know, we all go through that, and I think those are the stories that you see them all the time on ESPN. I saw one yesterday with a guy, Bernard Hopkins, wide receiver for Texans, about how his mother was a drug dealer and how it was such a tough life and stuff like that. You know, that's a tough thing for him to expose and from the public, but that's probably what's going to make him popular now is that he was able to open himself up and say, look, I failed. You know, it was tough as a kid, but I got up and I ran to success. I made it to the NFL, and now I bought my mom a house.
0: Do you, um, do you have an opinion on the most hated band right now, Nickelback? What's your thoughts on Nickelback?
1: You know, I don't like Nickelback either. Uh, I don't like – you know, Steve, I, some things I, you know, I try to keep my – vision open for everything but nickelback is just one one of the few bands I do
0: not like. Is uh is there a certain is there a certain song is there a certain song that turned you off of them that you that you can think of?
1: It was one of their first ones and I can't remember because I, I remember but remember were so popular they were selling out everywhere they went and everything?
0: Yeah.
1: Oh uh, it was back in that when they first were you know really were popular. I, I, I hated them from the beginning.
0: What um what what genre of music will you will you not touch? Like, what's like the genre of music like I will not listen to this genre kind of music.
1: This is something, Stephen. I'm probably everyone in Memphis and or this area, is luckiest people in the world for music. We have a station called the Weevil W E V L eighty nine point nine, and they play a different genre of music every two hours. And I'll give you an example. Today was Wednesday, and they had a, a segment from ten to two called. Bashful Bob in the Sure Enough Country Hour, and the guy's been dead for seven years, but he comes on every Wednesday, and they still because he's that popular. Now, before that, it might be two hours of of uh, rap or reggae, and then after that might be blues, and after that might be um, Cajun, and after that might be Irish pub music. You know, Saturday mornings is the Bluff City Barn Dance, it was all bluegrass from six to ten, uh, and then after that is the Irish pub music. Um, it's not something I won't listen to. I don't think, Stephen.
0: So like so um are you do you have any opinions on like the pop music scene like like this like this new pop music with all the with all the uh effects and blah, blah, and all that stuff in it you know all the stuff that hype it you know what i mean like the I know what you mean
1: no honestly i'm not i won't listen to the uh, you're right i won't listen to the new country i won't listen to the this new pop stuff i'm not into that um uh, i'm not into you know any of that stuff like that Again, I'm into the new the new stuff. In the, you know, Steven, I'll ask you a question. I'm going to put you on the spot. What is retro, Steven? Retro to me? What is retro to you?
0: Oh, man. I, I love retro things. Retro to me is like old-school retail, like Kmart not being around anymore, malls, uh, old-school gaming, old-school. Okay.
1: You can stop right there. I'm going to tell you what retro is, okay? Yeah. Retro is past – present, and future. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, I can I can see
1: it, well, yeah. No, or, well, that's what it is, okay? If you don't know it, look it up. So retro is past, present, and future. Someone like Lucinda Williams, uh, we, you asked me earlier. She's retro. You know, Robert Plant, his new group, he's got two new groups. One's called the Spaceshippers, one's called the band Joy. Space Shippers, he takes a Ralph Stanley Bluegrass song and makes it into a Led Zeppelin song. In the Band of Joy, he takes a Led Zeppelin song and makes it to a country song. So that's retro. He's taking something new and making it old and making it new and something new and making it old. And I was able to drive my old Bronco the other day and listen to both of those CDs. You can't get any more retro in that. And to me, that was retro day for me. Yeah,
0: that- so
1: again, I'm not trying to give you a hard time. But to me, that's what retro is. Past, present, and future. Uh, Because, it, it, you know, if you're talking again about Lucinda Williams, she's retro. She was really famous in the past, and she's really famous now with her new stuff.
0: Yeah, because old is becoming new again. Exactly. And they're doing it, you know, Stephen. I think
1: Nashville probably one of the biggest places in the country that everything's going retro. You know, let's see, uh, who was it? Uh, oh, God. Uh, another famous old group just came out of Nashville. You know, Robert Plant is in Nashville Um but all these groups are going to Nashville and taking like the moody blues and making bluegrass with it. And and it's, and it's cool again. Same thing with Johnny Cash taking the Nine Inch Nails song and did a better version. You know, I think the two versions weren't even close. Yeah, Johnny Cash was good at doing that, taking someone else's song and making it better.
0: Yeah, because, um, my, uh, I, I uh, have you ever have you ever heard of a band called Gorillas for your music journeys? Yes,
1: yes, I actually got Gorillas. I got and one of my favorite songs with them is Clint Eastwood.
0: Yeah do you do you think do you think that that I um, could
1: turn it on real quick? What's that? I got it. I got a CD in my my CD player.
0: Do you uh, have you heard their new album? If you did, what do you think about
1: it? No, I haven't. To be honest with you, Steve. I got that one CD. I I can't remember the name. But I know it's Gorillas, and that. I, there's a few songs, but my favorite song in the whole thing is Clint Eastwood. It's just got a cool riff, g- cool beat to it, cool lyrics, you know.
0: Yeah, they're 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 one of my favorite bands, really. Yeah. Um. So, so like, does does uh the sports to you um outside of wrestling, like your favorite thing ever? Like, like do you like? Watch baseball all the time and football. All I'm the watching time. the World
1: Series right now. If I wasn't talking to you, that's why I'd be watching. No, I love baseball. Was w- one of my first loves. Um, uh, so, but I liked all sports. The thing is, I was telling my kid, uh, you know, when he was younger, you know, when you're a tall person, one, you're going to be a late bloomer, and that means in everything. You're going to be a little late learning it. You're going to be a late. Your, your vertical, your speed, everything until you get filled out. But when you start winning at something, Stephen, it becomes fun. And I pushed myself into a position at all sports to win at them. And when I started winning, then it, I, when I started dominating, it was fun to me. And say, I really wasn't that great of a basketball player till maybe, say, 15 or 16 years old. You know, I couldn't jump, I couldn't do a layup, you know, could do a free throw. And then all of a sudden, when I stopped growing in height and started filling out, then I could, you know, alley oop and, you know, pin it off the backboard and stuff like that. And then, you know, I I just, again, I dominated it, I think, at all sports. I boxed, karate, baseball, football, you know, basketball, the whole nine yards.
0: So, um, knowing I'm from Chicago and you're from uh, Memphis, right? West Memphis? Marion, Arkansas. Marion, Arkansas. Um, You've been to Chicago, obviously. Favorite, favorite, uh, what's your favorite, uh, what do you like about Chicago?
1: The food—it's um, just you know—it's it's, it's a big city. I, I remember is uh, you know was Danny Spivey and I were partners. One of the, his jobs, or well, not his job, but he was helping me. I don't think I had a credit card and I didn't didn't know how to get rental cars and how to get hotels. So they put me with him and said, "Don't let him get lost." And he told me one time in Chicago, "I want you to drop off the rental car and I'm just going to go to the airport." And I got lost and didn't make the town. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's funny i mean like are you talking about o'hare at the o'hare airport yeah oh
1: <laughs> and this was a long time ago for it was really busy as it is now but uh now what it was is just Steve, this is the thing is i truly was this cr- dumb little country kid out of this small little country town you know my great grandfather and my grandfather were sharecroppers and i was farming on one county over from them you know 70 years later And I went from farming into wrestling. so it's like, again, it was like, I mean, it was to me again, I didn't know jealousy. I didn't know there was no friction between people. Uh, it it was just so refreshing to be in something that all I had to do is work out and, you know, eat good food and, you know, wrestle at nighttime.
0: You, You know, um, I'll show you a fun fact. Um, where the where the airport is, as you know, you've been there. Uh, the airport is literally right across the street from the arena. Um, you, I I uh, I actually been to the area a lot of times, and now it's actually if you haven't been there recently, I haven't seen what happened to it recently. It's now called the Allstate Arena. Okay. And um, it's 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 still it's still a pretty big town, and a lot, and I think we're like the second biggest wrestling town in the country. I think uh-huh do you do you believe do you think that do you think that's uh do you think that we're a really big wrestling town in your eyes
1: i don't think you're second you know i again there's so many towns up in the northeast you know you got new york you got philly uh no chicago's a heavy populated town uh uh i think it's a better wrestling town city than atlanta who's a heavily populated town too um But I don't know if it would be second, Stephen. You got too many towns in the Northeast, like Boston and um, New York, and you know you got two, you know, two arenas in New York. You got the, you know, so you got so many different places. I think they're in the top ten for sure.
0: Um, I I never been to uh, been to your state before. What if you if you if somebody were to come to your town, where would be the place that you recommend them to go, like to try first? To my town, yeah. Like, like if it was like food or attractions or anything, what would? Well, be there's
1: nothing. No, this is like a. We got like a population of five thousand people, man. That's why I'm. I'm in, I live in the country. There's nothing here but a, a Shake Shack, you know. And, you know that's about it. Yeah. You know.
0: That's <laughs> shake, a Shake Shack.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's called. It's actually the guy's dead. They just rebuilt it. It's called John's Shake Shack. Uh, Uncle John's Shake Shack. It's a place me and my kids always go to get milkshakes. And actually, the uh, WCW came here, did an article with me, and we went up there and did some pictures, and they got pictures of me up there in the Shake Shack. But no, it's um, it's just a small little town, Stephen. Um, there's not much change here. We don't allow, say, for instance, there's not going to be a liquor store in this town. We're not going to have trouble here. There's not going to be an arcade for kids to get in trouble here. Uh, it's a, you know, they still close up the sidewalks in the afternoons on Saturdays. So that's why I live here
0: that's a, a, a it's nice that you live in a in a nice little town where every where everything can just be all good and safe that's that's the that's the best thing man
1: it is it really is
0: so so did did your kids kind of grow up like how you did like you know like the farm life and in no. no
1: no 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 uh stephen that was what uh not that farming wasn't good it just wasn't you know uh, you know, especially if you didn't own the farm, I just worked for a f- farm. Um, it was a hard hour, you know, long hours, you know, very, you didn't get time and a half, you know, you know, it was always minimum wage, but you got a lot of hours when you're able to work. And for just as a kid, it was, you know, for me, I, it was a, a quick way to start making money. I started working on a farm, I think I was 12, you know, during the summers and stuff like that. And it started, as 15, I was what considered a planting man and, you know, plant men were 20 or 30 you know, years old. You know, because you had to be real experienced. So I got, I caught on to it really fast. And so, um, no, I, I wanted to break that circle for my family. and was able to do that. You know, we're Frank, my oldest son, of course, he was on that show, big brother. That's not his great accomplishment. His greatest accomplishment is his education and who he is as a person. He's a, you know, he was brought up, right. Um, his education was always first. Um, he, he made the national Dean's list all four years in college. Uh, you know what that means? You're the one percent in the country in academics. Yeah. You know, so. So that's what that was to me is it a, was a, one of my victories in life to give my children a better life than what I had. And, you know, Frank, all he had to do is just go to school, play sports. And uh, he turned out pretty good. And so did my youngest son, Gunner.
0: To to be honest, I didn't know you. Um, to ha- I never knew you had kids until, until I listened to your podcast. And so I saw, started talking to you now. I honestly didn't know that. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Um, I just actually had my first grandson a year ago. His name is Raylan Cole.
0: Oh, congratulations. Thank you. So, um, what, what is the, what is the, the, the best wrestling event that you ever wrestled on? Like, like what is the best, what is the best one that you, that you wrestled on?
1: I don't know, Steven. Um. there were there were so many you know sometimes it wasn't the big shows like WrestleManias, you know that stood out to me it would i liked a a regular house show to me those were better wrestling atmospheres you know yeah um because the the people really came there because they wanted to they didn't come there to be on tv and and so you wouldn't have known any of those shows i could there were so many of them i couldn't just pick out one but that, that's when the people were the most live. They weren't exhausted from all the stuff they see at a television taping. And so it would have be, been the live arena events that I would have enjoyed the most.
0: Um. So, so we're growing up. When you were little, um, did were you were you were, was comic books something that you were into?
1: A little bit, not that much though. I was um, actually Steven, again as, as a kid. I this is something I. I did almost every Saturday and Sunday it was a hunting or fishing trip. And me and my best friend as a kid growing up, his name was Mitchell Hanley. We was from, I guess, from 10, 11 years old on up to we were 15, till we were able to drive. We would leave our house in the morning at 3 o'clock. And I don't care if it was raining, snowing, whatever. And if it was a hunting or fishing trip. And we would literally, now this is, people would say, sit, I don't want to hear this shit. But we would literally walk twenty something miles to the Mississippi River and back on railroad tracks and through every section of the woods hunting or fishing, you know, all the way there and back every Saturday and Sunday. So to me, those were the most exciting things as a kid being out there with your own shotgun. You know, you know, you know. Again, that was more fun to me than video games or anything like that.
0: Yeah, you're just you're just raised as a good old country boy.
1: Yeah, exactly. I swear, man, you think about this, me and Mitchell, Mitchell was a year or two younger than me, and I was 10, 11 years old, so he had to be 9 or 10, and we were walking around with 12-gauge shotguns, you know, you know that's, people just don't do that anymore, you know, but we'd hunt or fish ourselves up to a, if we had the money to a place, it was an all-you-can-eat deal at a truck stop, and we'd, you know, we'd hunting and fishing right behind it, so we'd go there at lunch, and we'd eat that whole hour or two hours, and then go back hunting and fishing <laughs> the rest of the day. Yeah, we only probably did that once or twice because we didn't have the money to do that.
0: The only time you're gonna you're gonna be able to eat for an hour or two hours these days is if you're is if you go to Go and Corral in the middle of the day.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know. I I just went there last Sunday.
0: Do you uh no speak? You're from the south. Do you like uh do you like Go and Corral or Waffle House?
1: I think Waffle House is probably better to me. Uh, go to Corral is okay. It's just. I don't know, um, but I like them both a little bit. I, I burned out on Golden Corral, but we go there on Sunday sometime because we go to me and some friends. We go to Sam's and Walmart on Sunday to get all our stuff for the week.
0: Yeah, I mean, like Sam. I mean, our 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 Sam's Club, also known as a warehouse mart, where you get everything bigger or more of.
1: More <laughs> of exactly. I got enough toilet paper and paper towels will last me fifteen years. That's Just funny. this past Sunday, I took my grandson over there got him some stuff but no now listen everyone and steve i want you to push this i want everyone to turn in tune into the vicious circle and you can find that on itunes you can find it on electric media uh stitcher and google Podcasts. Uh, and let us give us some feedback we're asking you know rob is asking people for you know, some questions they want to you know, we're asking for call-ins if you've got a question or you got a story you might want to get um you want to ask, is this true? You, know, we're, you, know, you hear a story we're talking about. Uh, you think you got a better version of it. We want to hear that as well. Um, one thing we're trying to do, Stephen, on vicious circles, we're trying to tell the truth and I'm trying not to exaggerate. Um, I don't need to, I think everything I've done in my life sort of speaks for itself.
0: Hey, um, the, the, the wrap, the wrap this up because we've been going for an hour and six minutes to let you know.
1: So- yeah, I gotta get going.
0: Um, I wanted to, I just, I was just want to say that I, uh, that I, um, that, that I was talking to, uh, Rob before we started doing this. And if you, if you, if you guys want to want me to come on to get, if you guys yeah. want to, if you guys want to interview me, um, yeah, I'm totally down.
1: Well, exactly. We'd love to have you on. And sometimes I like to come back on here, you know, uh, again, to promote this book. You know, I'll tell you the book is going to be good, Stephen. I'll tell you reason why I think it's going to be good. We actually sure. handed in with. WWS is to give them, it's called the first chapter. And the first, the it, it, first chapter means just a summary of what the book might sound like. Yeah. And what we did, was actually just set a story. It was about, I think, 15, not even 15 pages, maybe 15 paragraphs. It was like two or three pages. Um, and it, all it talked about was a kid playing wiffle ball, okay, uh, with a stepfather, where it's, it made it seem like a stepfather. Uh, it was a really cool, actually, when we wrote that, Barry, I said, man, am I really that cool? Now, Again, it's never talked about wrestling. It just talked about a kid playing wiffle ball. So whoever's in charge with WWE about their books called me back and said, uh, do you really think that much of yourself? And who are you trying to bury? I said, first of all, <laughs> I never talked about my wrestling career. I, the, the writer, Barry, only talked about a kid playing wiffle ball. And I said, It never said anything about burying anyone. Steven's deal is I intimidate people. I, th- I think everyone knows that. And I think you know that too. And the reason I'm intimidating, uh, Stephen, because I'm very seldom wrong. And I, and I actually make people nervous because of that. I don't lie. i usually, you know, I'm pretty, if I don't know something, I'll say, I don't know it, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and I think that's why the vicious circle in my book is going to be so successful.
0: So um, if if you're okay, um, let me, I'll share my social media and then I'll, I'll let you share yours real quickly. Um, thank you everyone for listening to episode 75 of Cyber Time Bite. You can follow me on Facebook at Cyber Time Byte. You can follow me on Twitter at NostalgiaVant and pick up my merchandise at redbubble.com under Crash Steven Gear, where I have a spork shirt and I have a shirt where, um, where it says Great Minds Think Alone, and when you walk alone, you, um, you have the strongest direction. I, I prefer you pick that one up. Um, how, about, how about you, Sid, uh, uh Psycho said, if I can put out there?
1: Sure. We, again, we want everybody to watch the Vicious Circle on, on electronic media. Uh, you can also find it on iTunes, Stetcher, and Google Podcasts. And let us know what you think about it. And um, keep listening to it. We're we doing them for about 30 minutes. We don't want to bore people like you've done tonight, Stephen. You did a good job of that. You bored me. I'm actually asleep. I don't know how I'm even talking right now but no, just kidding. But no, uh, but we're having a good time with it and I'm hoping, uh, the people are enjoying it.
0: Um, where, where can people find you on Twitter? Are you on Twitter
1: or Facebook? No, I, we got, we do have a Facebook under vicious circle on, uh, under the, for the Facebook. I don't do Twitter. Uh, just, I don't see any, you know, we're me and Barry talked about, it. we don't see any reason how it could help us. You know, if I thought it would help, I would do it. Um, the only thing that would help it would stop some of these people doing the fake Sid Vicious out there, you know, cause anyone doing it is not me cause I don't do it. So, um, and I hear stories about it all the time. And I think he's the one that circulated that story about the squirrel. Cause they actually, someone told me Rob said that he actually responded to Rob about that. Like I was, he was actually Sid. So again, people, that's not me. Um, and don't believe that shit.
0: So, um, Thank you, everyone, for listening to this podcast episode, and I hope all of you have a great day. Have a nice day, Yeah, everyone. me too.
1: Have a great day, everyone, and listen to The Vicious.